Today we're going to talk about a transformed community. If you'll take your Bible to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to look at chapter 3 today. And even though it's a narrative and even a bit uh, uh, satire in this, uh, I hope that we will get some deep theological truth uh, out of this book that I think is here for us if we'll take the time to, to see it. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. There's much encouragement uh, in this passage, uh, if we'll take the time to notice it. At the very outset of this chapter, we see the call of God and here's a map of how Jonah was to go. It doesn't have Tarshish in there, but he left Joppa, which is down toward the bottom. Um, I don't know if this right down here is Joppa. And we don't really see Tarshish, but it was 2,500 miles uh, the other direction uh, west. And he was to go to Nineveh around that way, which was about 500 miles uh, to the east. Uh, that God had called him to go. Now, what I want you to notice here, the word of the Lord came to him the second time, the faithfulness of God, because sometimes we struggle to obey the Lord, don't we? If we're honest, we struggle to obey the Lord. We don't always obey the first time. Uh, and God is faithful to bring his word again, the call of God to God's man. God had picked Jonah out to bring his word to the Ninevites. We see this also in, throughout Scripture because in Noah, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and that God had called him to preach righteousness to the people because the earth was filled with wickedness and violence. And God called Noah to build an ark and preach because of the wickedness of man. We can see this here in this verse. If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others. He preached for 120 years, and the only people he was able to lead to the Lord was his own family. And yet God is faithful, 
And Noah was faithful in calling what God called him to do. We also see this in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah responded to the call of God when he was 17 years old to preach to Judah. God had forbidden him to marry or have children. And Jeremiah faithfully preached for 40 years. And because the people were hardened in their sin and they did not listen or respond to Jeremiah's message because of their stubbornness and their idolatry. Jeremiah talks about in chapter 19 about a jar of clay that would be smashed, indicating that God was going to smash the nation and their city just as the jar of clay and it would not be repaired. The faithfulness of God in calling a man of God to bring the word of God to the people so they can hear the truth. That's the faithfulness of God. Jonah goes through a great wind and a great storm, heading to a great city, and God provides a great fish to swallow Jonah, to teach him a lesson that God is in control. It's a reminder to us, and it should be, you know, it should be a great comfort to our hearts that God is in control. Because a world that is full of evil and wickedness and corruption, we can get so focused on that and forget that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the one who is in control. And he reminded Jonah of that very thing. And then he tells Jonah, down in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. This word proclaim is the idea of to call, to summon, to appeal. And it's often spoken in a time of critical need intended to elicit a decisive response. In prophetic literature, the verb proclaim is a technical term for the proclamation of Yahweh's will, God's will. That's what Jonah was going to proclaim. He wasn't developing his own message. He was coming to bring the word of God to bear upon the people. God gave Jonah the message to preach. What was the key for Jonah to go to Nineveh? Obedience. What is the key for us to carry out the Great Commission in our day? It's obedience to the Great Commission. God has called us, maybe not in the same way he called Jonah, but he has called us in our circle of influence to share the gospel with those around us. And here's what it says in Matthew 9.37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now think about this. We live in an agriculture community here. What would happen if a farmer planted all his seed and raised a wonderful crop, but he did not have the workers to harvest it? He'd say, what a waste. And here, God knew that the Ninevites were ripe for harvest. He just needed a farmer. (laughs) He needed someone to go who was going to proclaim the word of God so the harvest could be repped. It could be reaped. And God calls us as well. And here's a reminder for all of us. How then will they call on him, on God, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So God calls a man of God to go. How are they to preach unless they are sent? And he tells Jonah to go. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good 
news. God has called us to do this. I'm reminded when I was in seminary, I worked in an insurance company downtown. I worked with a part-time group. I went in at 12.30 in the afternoon and worked till 9 o'clock at night. I could take classes in the morning. And so I actually hired a part, some part-time people. And this one gentleman came in to be interviewed. He had on a nice suit. He was dressed nice. Uh, he had a nice ponytail that came down to about right here. And uh, I decided to hire him. I mean, he was, he was well kept. Uh, he handled himself well. He was respectful. And I offered him the job. He came to work. And I got to know him as I was working there. And my heart was burdened for him. And so I invited him out for a Coke after work. I said, let's go out and grab a Coke. And uh, he said, sure. And uh, so we set it up the day, and we went out to a restaurant. We walked to the restaurant from where I worked. And uh, he sat down, and, and he was like, I don't have any money. Or so I said, well, I can buy you a Coke. No, no big deal. And, and, uh, and then he remembered he had a credit card or something. He says, oh, he says, I got a credit card. I'm, I'm good. And I said, okay. He said, do you mind if I get a beer? I said, uh, it's your money. You get what you want. Um, I'm getting a Coke, so you get what you want. Um, and so he got his beer, I got my Coke, and we started talking. Now, why wasn't that a big deal to me? Because that's external. The issue is the heart. And you know what he said next? What did you want to talk about? <laughs> I said, well, I wanted to get to know you. I wanted to find out who you are. Um, how did you grow up? And I learned that there had been a suicide in their family and I think he was raised by an uncle. Anyhow, he had things like that in his life and, and he didn't have a lot of church background, a little bit. And um, I said, I talked to him about heaven. I said, do you plan to go to heaven? Yes, I do. Um, how are you going to get there? Well, he wasn't so sure. You know, be a good person. And I said, well, do you mind if I show you from scripture how you can have a personal relationship with God. I just happen to have a New Testament in my back pocket, <laughs> somehow. And uh, he said, sure. And so I pulled it out. And I opened it to Romans 3.23, and I, I said, read that. And he read it, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, do you understand what that means? We're all sinners. We're all broken. We all need the Lord. We've all fallen short of his glory. Take him to Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand? There's a wage. There's a payment for sin. It requires death. It's going to be my death and your death unless we accept what Jesus did on the cross. I took him to Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died. But I had him read each one of those passages. And I said, do you understand that? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, do you, I said, you can pray to receive Christ right here tonight. But I said, it's your decision. I, I don't want you to feel pressured to do it for me. But if God would have you do that, and he said, I'm not ready to pray that prayer. Even though I think he understood. And um, I said, that's fine. I said, but I'll tell you what, here's my commitment to you. I will pray for you that God will open your heart to the truth because we all need the Lord and then later on we had him over to our house for a meal and just tried to share Christ with him I don't know if he's ever given his life to Christ but our responsibility is to give out 
the word of God to people in darkness? Do we really believe that this book changes people's lives? If we do, we're going to be open, we're going to be passionate. And I thought, what would happen if every person you've prayed for the last month that's lost would come to Christ? How many people would be in heaven as a result of our prayers? And so how important it is for us to do that. The second thing after we see the call of God is the conversion of man. The conversion of man. Jonah obeys the word of the Lord. He goes to Nineveh. It said it required a visit required three days. I think for him to walk through the entire city, which is probably about 60 miles, 20 miles a day, it required three days. On the first day, it says he started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. We don't know what all Jonah preached, but we do know this. He preached a message of repentance. And this is a message that is by and large being pushed aside in our culture. Oh, we don't want to make people feel bad. We don't want them to, you know, realize that they're sinners. And, you know, we want to preach positive things. Well, we are positively lost, and we positively need Jesus Christ. It is a positive message. It's telling people the truth. And so the conversion of man is essential. It is absolutely essential. So what is essential is it says they believed God. So what is essential in conversion? Faith is essential to conversion. It means to be firm, secure, to stand fast, to be fixed in one spot, to trust. It tells us in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. The meaning here is that Abraham was full of trust and confidence in God, not just in what God said, but in who God was, more importantly. He believed God. Do you believe God? In other words, Abraham came to believe and experience a personal relationship with God rather than an impersonal relationship with God. Here's what it says in Ezekiel. Here's what it happens in conversion. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, it's not rules, it's relationship. God puts his spirit within us. He gives us a new heart. That's what we need. And the only thing that will do that is the word of God. That's why we have to give out the word of God and preach a message of repentance to people. That message did not change in the New Testament. John the Baptist came and it said, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came and preached the same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And there he was. His message was a message of repentance. So what is this idea of repentance? We talk about faith, but then we talk about repentance. Repentance is total change in one's direction in life or moral orientation. 
You see, you don't live an immoral life if God has put a new heart in you and given you his spirit. Your life has been totally reoriented by the person of Christ inside of you. You don't live the old way. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Repentance is turning your back on the old life and going to, toward Christ in a new life. A change in orientation. Conversion is the process of which repentance is the entrance and faith the new direction. Even the original language, the Hebrew and Greek words can be translated repentance or conversion. Turning from our former course of life toward the Lord. Turning from wickedness. Turning from disloyalty to God to a life of obedience to God. Conversion is an inward orientation which finds expression in a changed life. And there's nothing more precious, there's nothing more exciting, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents of their sin. Repents of their sin. God calls us to that. See, conversion has three factors. First, it is turning from something, which includes specific sins, false gods, or simply even a lifestyle that you're living for yourself. Second, it is conversion is a product of the will of God, His gracious working in the world. And third, conversion is turning to someone, a commitment of one's whole life to God in Jesus Christ. I give Him my whole allegiance in my life. That's what conversion is. And even when we look at repentance in the Hebrew, it shows that there's a change in thinking and attitude towards sin and toward God. There's a mourning over sin. Notice in our text, the Ninevites believed God in verse 5. They declared a fast after they believed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. There was a public mourning over their sin. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, the church in Ephesus was given a letter, and you know what God told the church in Ephesus, the whole church? Repent. He told the whole church to repent of their sin, of leaving their first love. You don't hear those kind of messages very often. Here, God is telling the whole place of Nineveh, repent through Jonah. Repent. And this is one of the greatest revivals I know of in recorded history. Because in Pentecost, there were 3,000 saved. Here, there were apparently thousands and thousands saved who gave their lives to Christ in repentance toward the Lord. Their thinking and attitude towards sin and God changed. There was a public display of mourning over sin. There was weeping. There was taking off the royal robe of the king and putting on sackcloth, which is rough goat hair, and sitting in the dust or sitting in ashes. Ashes was a symbol of purification. And the more ashes you 
sat in or heaped upon yourself, the more sorrow you had for your sin. Wow. That's something that doesn't get talked about very much, is it, today? Godly sorrow for sin. It's turning in the opposite direction. It is turning from a road characterized by rebellion toward God and a road characterized by obedience to God. In the New Testament, even in the Greek, the Greek word for repentance means to radically change one's thinking. You have a new understanding which brings new behavior into our lives, which yields appropriate actions. We see this in the life of Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus was converted by the power of God. He makes restitution for the fraud he committed as part of his occupation. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. A faith he once tried to destroy, he is now proclaiming the gospel. Total transformation of life, conversion. Onesimus, the runaway slave, returning to his master, Philemon, to face the consequences of his action. James chapter 2 talks about this very thing when he talks about the relationship between repentance and appropriate actions or genuine faith. He talks about that very thing. He asks the rhetorical question, what good is it? He's calling into question not the effectiveness of faith in Christ without the accompanying good deeds to save the sinner, but he's talking about the very presence of that faith if the deeds do not follow. He's saying that saving faith will result in acts of justice and mercy that will arise spontaneously in a changed life. That's what will happen. And what requires that to happen? How do we come to that faith and repentance? There has to be a period of self-examination where we examine our own hearts to see if we're in the faith or do we have our parents' faith or some other faith or have we turned our back on God? Self-examination. There is a proverb in the business world that the man who takes no inventories finally becomes bankrupt. Bankrupt without inventory. Another aspect we see in the aspect of conversion is humility. They sat in the dust, which is also a word for ashes. They put on sackcloth. They showed humility before the Lord. When they heard the word of God, they were humbled by the word of God. What happens to your heart when you hear the word of God? Are you, are you really tuned in? Are you wanting to hear it? Or do you just kind of, well, this is good. I got my, my glass full of God for today and I'm good to go. Or is there a humbling that comes to the Lord? And notice what happened. This immediately brought a change in their lives. Look in verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust. He issued a proclamation 
By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. It was an habitual violence that they were involved in. Here's how it says it in the New Testament. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is genuine conversion. This is where I don't need to have somebody looking over my shoulder to say, well, nobody's looking, I can do this wrong. I can click here on the internet. I can talk this way because there's nobody around. I can act this way. No, my life has been changed from the inside out. I've been converted by the power of God. And it's a wonderful thing. He says in 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If we have receive the Spirit of God, we have been purified. And our obedience to the truth allows us to love one another. If we got a problem with our brother or sister in Christ, we need to resolve that issue. Resolve it. Why? Because I have been purified by God, my obedience to the truth. I can be a stumbling block from somebody else coming to Christ if I don't do what God wants me to do. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this is where the truth comes in to set people free. The third one we see is the compassion of God. Notice down in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened the compassion of God he showed compassion to Jonah and mercy by giving him another chance he shows compassion and mercy to us by not just rubbing us out but he comes to us in our weakness you know I think one of the reasons we don't share the gospel as much as we should and I say we I'm just as guilty is because there's too much doubt in our hearts or unbelief because if we genuinely believe that this is the only way somebody can be converted why not share it with them why not be burdened for them why not go out of my way to try to share the gospel with them God has called us to do that there was a story about King Edward the seventh of England he and his queen were out walking late one afternoon when suddenly she stumbled and sprained an ankle. In great pain and with considerable difficulty, she limped along. Holding to her husband's shoulder, at dusk they approached the home of a humble man. The king knocked on the door. Who's there, came the inquiry. It's Edward, it's the king, let me in. The man on the inside shouted back, Enough of your pranks! Be off! The king, not being accustomed to such language, was shocked. 
He hardly knew what to do, but he knocked a second time. The cottager inquired, what do you want? I tell you, it is the king. It is Edward, your king. Let me in. In anger, the man shouted, I'll teach you to torment an honest man trying to get his sleep. He threw open the door in disgust, only to see that indeed it was his king. With profuse apologies, the laborer invited the royal visitors in and sent for help to attend his queen. Years later, when the Britisher was too old to work, he would spend much time rocking on the porch and visiting with neighbors. He took great delight in reviewing that experience, always concluding with the same words, and to think, to think, I almost didn't let him in. To think, I almost didn't let him in. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We have to open our heart to the Lord. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. God has not called all of us to be a Jonah to go preach the gospel to an entire people, nation, or city. But God used him to transform a community. A community is transformed one person at a time, though. And maybe there's somebody in your life that God has put you in touch with on a semi-regular basis And maybe you have yet to take the opportunity to make it a point to share the gospel with them. I would encourage you in the Great Commission, we are told to go and preach the gospel. That's not given just to the preachers or the leaders of the church. It's given to the church. It's given to followers of Jesus to share the gospel Maybe you have contacts through Awana or Sunday school. And maybe it's time to pay a visit or invite them out for coffee or an ice cream or whatever to try to get to know them a little more. There's some kids that come from very difficult homes. And they need that love. They need someone to show concern and care for them. And maybe it's you that God wants to use. Maybe you're going to be the Jonah in their life who has God's word within you that you can speak a word of encouragement, a word of truth to their lives. God is the one who does the work. It wasn't Jonah's message, it was God's message. And God was the one who used it to convert thousands of people I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, would you pray that God would burden your heart for an individual or two? And just ask God to bring that person to you or this week that you would pray about that. Say, you know, here's a person I know is lost. I know needs Jesus. My wife and I just talked to somebody this week and engaging in conversation, inviting her to church. And she said, I don't go to church because the people there judge. And I said, you don't judge me and I won't judge you. 
But then she went on to say how she believed in karma. Right here in Huron, there are lost people. She believes in karma. She doesn't know the God of the Bible. She's had some pain in her life. We said, you know what? We're all broken. We're a church full of broken people. We invite you to come. That's all we can do. We can reach out. And other times, there are times where we can go deeper and share the gospel. We didn't have that opportunity because she was working. But maybe God has burdened your heart for someone. Maybe you're here today and you're not genuinely been converted. You try to obey all the rules, but there's no joy in your life. There's no joy in obeying rules. You need a relationship, the Spirit of God to bring faith to your life. You genuinely believe and repentance Godly sorrow for your sin that you will turn from your sin and trust Christ. And God will give you a new heart and he'll put his spirit within you if you ask him to by faith. Maybe you still don't understand and you're like, you know, I'm still searching. I don't understand this. That's fine. Keep coming and hearing God's word because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I would invite you, if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, would you ask him into your life this very day? And he will make you a new person. If you have questions and I can pray with you or talk with you, I'd be glad to meet with you after the service to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.